there's a lot of me talking now. Just kind of back to back to back. You're gonna get sick of me. So we're continuing. Nobody's like, no, we won't. I was hoping that would happen. Thanks for the confidence, y'all. Hey, I want to say, uh, raise your hand if you were part of the cookout for Camino Real this week. Look around. All of these people worked this week and gave food to the teachers down in Camino. I, um, I called the principal of Camino a few weeks ago and I said, hey, we're wanting to continue in this partnership that we have with you that if you don't know that's the school that's just right down the hill over here. And one of the things that I would like to do is have a cookout for your teachers and your, your faculty and staff. Um, and whether that's like after school someday or whether that's during the day, I don't know, let us know the best time. And so he got back to me and he said, lunchtime Wednesday before school starts would be great. And I was like, oh, shoot, the problem is I'm gonna be out of town and Stuart's gonna be out of town. And let me talk to my staff. And so we were in staff meeting and I said, so we want to do this thing, but I'm not going to be here, and Stuart's not going to be here. What do you think? And Angie was like, what do you mean, what do you think? Yes, we're going to do it. And so Angie and Leslie stepped up to the plate, and, and you all stepped up with them and just knocked it out of the park. I got all kinds of text messages and emails about it. And so um, we really are, really are making a difference in people's lives. And it's just the small things like, for somebody you don't even know that matters. And so uh, thank you all for being part of that this week. We're going to continue on uh, with some, some words from the prophets in the Older Testament today. So last week, uh, or last two weeks, we were in Hosea chapter 1 and then Hosea chapter 11. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 1 today. Raise your hand if Isaiah is your favorite book of all time. Come on, Carlos Marx. I know it's your favorite. Okay, he finally made it. Isaiah is weird, but all the prophets are weird, and they're they're literally kind of weirdos of their time. They were they were mostly like uh, the way I picture them. They were they just didn't quite fit in anywhere they went, and they talked about things that nobody else wanted to talk about. It would be it would be the time for small talk, and they're like, actually, you know what I want to talk about, and they would like throw out some crazy idea that nobody wanted to talk about, and it's, well, a lot of times it got our prophets killed. So if you have to give the prophecy, good luck. <laughs> but we're going to start with Isaiah chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 1 to you, and then we're going to jump to chapter to verse 10 and read all the way through verse 20. So I want to read verse 1 because it kind of sets it up. It says, this is who this guy Isaiah is, and this is the time period in which he was prophesying. And the way we know that is because he lists out the kings that were were sitting on the throne while he was doing his work and prophesying. So, the vision about Judah and Jerusalem. So Judah was one of the kingdoms. There, were, there was a divided kingdom, Israel and Judah. And Judah's capital city was Jerusalem. So the vision about Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, Amos's son, saw in the days of Judah's kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. I'll jump to verse 10. Hear the Lord's word. Listen to God, to our God's teaching, people of Gomorrah. What should I think about all your sacrifices, says the Lord? I'm fed up with entirely burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I don't want the blood of bulls, lambs, and goats. When you come to appear before me, 
Who asked this from you, this trampling of my temple's courts? Stop bringing worthless offerings. Your incense repulses me. New moon, Sabbath, and the calling of an assembly. I can't stand wickedness with celebration. I hate your new moons and your festivals. They've become a burden that I'm tired of bearing. When you extend your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even when you pray for a long time, I won't listen. Your hands are stained with blood. Wash, be clean. Remove your ugly deeds from my sight. Put an end to such evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come now and let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. If they are red as crimson, they will become white like wool. If you have greed and obeyed, you will eat the best food of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. The Lord has said this. The word of God for the people of God. I wonder if you mean that, like, oh, gosh, thank you, God. When I read the prophets, sometimes I'm like, really? We can pray for a long time and you won't listen? What's the deal with the prophets? What's going on with God? How does all of this work? Why is God so angry? In this particular situation, and also in Hosea and a couple of the other prophets, God is angry because the people of God are not doing what the people of God ought to do. Have, has anybody ever said to your, if, if you have kids or nieces or nephews or, you know, like family members that are younger than you, have you ever said to them or thought to them or maybe you were told as a child, go and represent your family well? This is not how our family behaves. Do the right thing. Represent your family well. Anybody ever heard that type of language? So in the household of God, where God is in charge of the household, there are certain things that are supposed to take place. People are treated with dignity and respect. They're not seen as just an object to be used for whatever we feel like they ought to be used for. We, we see people that are without homes and we see them as our neighbors, right? We, we hear about people who are traveling and seeking refuge in other places and we pray for them and we try to create space for them. These are the things that are in the household of God are supposed to take place. If you know someone who is in desperate poverty, you do what you can to help them. And so what was happening is the people of God that Isaiah was prophesying to were not doing that. They were getting incredibly wealthy and incredibly rich. And our, our archaeology lets us know that some of these places where Isaiah was prophesying there would be grand mansions, and then just down the hill, there would be tiny little shacks. And the theory is that the people who were living in grand mansions were doing so by stepping on the necks of the people who were living in tiny little shacks. And God was happy. What God was really upset about is that the ancient people of God had blood on their Isaiah writes about this, and, and it's, it's kind of a, a play on words because, yes, they had blood on their hands from sacrificing of animals to God, right? Like, 
literally they had blood on their hands. And that wasn't a problem for God. A lot of preachers over the years have used this passage to condemn the way the ancient Israelite people worshipped God through sacrificing. And that's not the problem. The problem is that they were worshipping God the way that God had commanded them to do through the actions and the deeds during worship. But it didn't follow up with anything outside of the assembly. So they would have a new moon festival and they would kill a calf and they would come to, they would go to the synagogue and they would do all of the stuff that they were doing, but they never let anything of that affect them in a way that it made a difference in other people's lives. They were living for themselves. And so they had other people's blood on their hands. It was mixing the blood of wolves of sacrifice with the blood of people that God loved. We don't do anything like that. But if we did, I wonder what the, what the prophet would say to us. The beauty of all of this is that God is basically saying your personal piety, the way that you pray, the way that you worship, the way that you, the way that you give of your gifts to the church, the way that you sing all of your songs, all of those things are good. But what I really want is for your personal piety, your personal actions, to lead to social holiness. What if all of us let the effect of what happens in our souls when we're together worshiping God make a difference outside of this place? How would the world change if all of us who say we're followers of Jesus actually test it out living in the way of Jesus. Where we put other people's interests ahead of our own because if Jesus is who we're trying to emulate in our life, we are to sacrifice ourselves and our own desires for other people and their good. Our lives, in the name of Jesus, are about the common good. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, accidentally started this thing we call Methodism. He was an, an Anglican priest, and he was in college, and he and his brother and some of their friends would get together every day to pray and check in on each other. Have you been praying? How? What kind of service did you do for other people? Have you been studying your Bible? What are the things you've been doing? What are the personal acts of piety, the personal things you've been doing to grow? But his thing was, personal piety always has to lead to social holiness. And so they called themselves the Holiness Club. Now, the people at the school, because they were so methodical in the way they went about this, made fun of them and said, oh, you're just a bunch of Methodists. It's all about the method. You're all, and they were like, hmm, that's actually not a bad idea. We're going to claim that. So if you're ever being teased, just own it. That's where we get the name Methodist from. Was there's a method to this idea of personal piety that leads to social holiness. If all of us live it out, societies change. But we have a problem. The problem is called sin. Now, I'm just going to confess this right up front so that my family doesn't get mad at me and call me a liar. I don't do a whole lot of laundry. <laughs> what? 
more dishes, <laughs> This is how I do laundry. Uh, if I'm doing laundry, I first sort through the laundry basket of mine and figure out what's clean and what's dirty. <laughs> don't act like you don't do that. <laughs> and so what happens is like, I'll go on a trip like I did this week, and this week I really did good. Like I got the little plastic bag in the hotel and put my dirty clothes in it. But sometimes I'm just like putting my dirty clothes back in the bag, and when I get home, it's like, I can't remember what I wore. Like what of this is clean and what of this is dirty. And so I take whatever is clean and I put it aside, right? Like it doesn't have to be washed. It's been mixed in with the dirty stuff and it, happens, it doesn't necessarily have to be washed. And I kind of, am, and for this analogy, and I'm equating that to like the everyday kinds of sins that we commit, right? You're dropping your kid off at school and some other jerk thinks that their time is more important than yours. And so you lose your, your temper and you forget that like their time might actually be more important than yours. No, our poor <laughs> And so, like it's those little things like you might in your head like snap at someone in a way and later on you're like right like I'm, I'm not treating them with respect even in my head and so you realize like I'm just going to set that aside like I'm done with it I've moved it over I'm done nothing has to be done I've recognized that I've confessed it moving on but then there are the clothes that like and I know this has happened to every single one of you you go to lunch with your friends after church and take the chip and you dip it into the salsa and somewhere between the bowl and your mouth, the chip gets a hole in it and drips down onto your shirt. Like I call it my crumb catcher, right? Like it drips down onto your shirt and you end up with this stain down the front. Now you can take the, the napkin off the table and try to clean it off, but everybody still sees it, especially if you like get water on there. Now it's like, will you drool on yourself? Because it gets worse. Those are the clothes that we have to do something about. And we don't have to really do any work, but we have to pay attention to them. You have to spray some shout on there, you have to get the stain stick, whatever it is that you're using, you have to make sure that you're, like, you're being attentive to that sin. Because if not, it, it just stays there, like it just is a, still a stain on you. Here's the beauty of this passage of Isaiah. God says, come and let's settle this. Other translations say, come and let's argue this out. Let's have, a, let's have a conversation. Let's figure out how this is going to work. And then God just goes ahead and like lays it out for us and says, though your sins are like scarlet, though your sins are like salsa down the front of your shirt, everybody can see it, right? Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. It doesn't say they might be. It says they will be white as snow. If they are red as crimson, they will become like wool, which was also very clean. If you agree and obey, you will eat the best food of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by The stain is cleaned off. It's not it. The fact is, it will be. So what do we do with that? That's the point. Isaiah is saying, 
you all have recognized this before. The crimson stain is washed. Like, it's, it's, it's a done thing, and you're in your worship, and you're accepting this, and you're loving God, and you're receiving all this stuff from God. But what are you going to do about it? And God lays it out for us. He says, what I want to see is justice. And then God defines justice as helping the oppressed, defending the orphan, and pleading for the widow. Basically, if you have power, give some of it up for someone else. If you're in middle school or high school, and you see someone sitting by themselves, go sit with them. If you have a new next door neighbor who's new to town and doesn't know anyone, go visit them. If there are people that need a place to live and food to eat, take them food to eat. Support the organizations that are giving them a place to live. If people are being harmed because of hate, do something. Love more. Otherwise, we have blood on our hands, the blood of our sacrifices, but the blood that we are allowing to Just pure. 
pure vanity if it's never used in service to other people. That's what Isaiah is prophesying about. Remember, I said prophesying is about here and now. This is what is happening. But there's also the kind of prophecy that's about the future. Isaiah is prophesying about what he has literally seen. What he is seeing is people who are recharging their batteries so they can use other people. And God is saying, I will have it. Sisters and brothers, we find joy, which is very different from happiness. Joy is more akin to confidence than happiness with like laughter and hearing a comment or something. Joy is deeper. We find joy when we serve our neighbors in the name of Jesus. So may we go forth and change the world that we live in by using the energy we get from